It seems like creatives always get a bad rap. From childlike tantrums and ridiculous green room requests, strange superstitions, and even self-mutilation, it's clear that artists have plenty of strange habits. But they've also made a pretty big impact on the world. Hi, I'm Kate Rooney. And I'm Jess Scuffy. And you're listening to Creatives Are the Worst, presented by Design Pickle, the leading flat rate graphic design and creative services platform. In this podcast, we'll be uncovering the fascinating myths and shocking stories behind the artists we love, or in some cases, love to hate, as we try to determine, are creatives the worst? Welcome to Creatives Are the Worst, presented by Design Pickle. My name is Kate Rooney, and I'm sitting here live in person with Jeff Guffey. In front of a live studio audience. Hmm. Not sure about that. This is our most professional podcast setup we've ever done yet yeah we have like a mixer and all this fancy equipment that i couldn't tell you what it is and i feel very official Mm -hmm. should we tell people why we're we're here together safely might i add yes true very safe well why are we here together (laughs) (laughs) you're here in arizona so that's fun i'm here in arizona because as we're recording this it's the end of 2020. We did it, guys. We made it through, barely. And Design Pickle is having this massive end-of-the-year production live stream called Pickle Vision, mm-hmm. which is a recreation of my favorite contest, Eurovision. I would just like to point out that I showed up to the office on Monday and you were in full costume. Mm-hmm. And you didn't even look like yourself. In fact, people in the office that hadn't seen you in a while asked if your hair is blonde now because you were wearing a blonde wig. Yes, my hair is blonde now, and I typically do wear glitter on my face with <laughs> just blue eyeshadow. Over. Yeah, it's my just look. like a total ice queen. That's what 2020 has done to me. You're just an ice queen now. It's fine. It's very becoming of you. Thank it's you. Okay. Thanks. So, I suppose you want to know who we're talking about today. I mean, minor details. I guess I think that's why we're here. I think so, too. It's a little bit outside a normal creative path Mm. in a way. Maybe not. Maybe some people will disagree with that. But this person has had a very controversial career. And as always, it's our opinion. So there's a lot of information. There's a lot of conflicting information because, you know, with controversial people, there are two sides to every story. And we're just going to tell it based on our research. So if you feel like you know something else that we didn't cover or you feel very strongly in one way or the other about this person, let us know at podcast.designpickle.com. But until then, Kate, this person is someone I would describe as a creative storyteller and a cultural icon for sure. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like you're going to like this because it's giving us a chance to be armchair psychologists throughout the episode, <laughs> which we excel at, so we think. Yeah. This person was the OG shock jock. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone come to mind? Yeah, Howard Stern. <laughs> yep. We're doing it. Oh, We're doing Howard. Man. Now, I don't know how you feel about Howard. I've always liked him, but I think I'm too young to have uh-huh. seen his really, really controversial days. And I still don't know how I feel about him after all of this research. Uh, knee-jerk reaction, I've never liked him. Okay. I've always Fair. thought he was way too crass and over the top. And then as I got older, you know, I kind of realized, okay, he has this persona. He is very creative. Totally. He's definitely a storyteller. And he gets the truth, blah, blah, blah. So it was kind of like ebbing and flowing. But then I kind of come back and be like, no, he's still an asshole. But and, I don't know. You're, yeah. you're going to tell me more. We'll go in depth on it. I think one of the biggest themes that I'd like to just set the stage with is I think it's not a secret that he's burned a ton of bridges mm-hmm. in his career. I mean, he's had a very up and down career with different broadcast companies, different partners, and he's been in the news a lot for not so great things. So uh, I'd also like to point out that we did reference Howard Stern in the Quentin Tarantino episode. So we're just doing little Easter eggs along the way without even knowing. <laughs> we, we probably said, ooh, we should cover him. <laughs> right. <laughs> so just a fun little Easter egg there, which seems to be happening more and more. But anyways, without further ado, Howard Stern. So Howard was born in 1954 in Queens to his parents, Ben and Ray, two guy names. His mom was Ray. Dad was Ben. <laughs> and they moved to Long Island when he was one 
and he calls his childhood when he looks back on it very confusing but doesn't really elaborate so his dad was a radio engineer and held radio personalities and celebrities in a very high regard was always talking about them was always looking up to them bringing howard to the studio so he could see these people and witness them in action and his dad was actually the son of immigrants so he tried really really hard to speak proper english and I don't know if you've ever heard Howard imitate his dad, but no, I haven't. <laughs> it kind of sounds like when he talks, he has marbles in his mouth, which I am sure is fictionalized. But he's made it very clear that his dad imparted that on him to like always speak proper and hmm. articulate and all that stuff. When he was five years old, he realized he wanted to be on the radio. Not the first time we've seen that in one of our episodes. Mm -hmm. So his dad set up a fake radio station in their basement with like real equipment and all that stuff so he could pretend to host shows when he was five. So he would do sketches, he would do his own commercials, he would do prank calls, and he was doing everything. (laughs) So everything that his show became. Yeah. He would also, when he was little, do wild and profane puppet shows. (laughs) just really was into puppets for a while but would make the puppets really dirty and naughty and as a child uh, mm-hmm. so clearly we see a theme there <laughs> so he would say also from a young age he recognized that his family was middle class and he always wanted more he would make comments to his dad about wanting to be a millionaire and it would really upset his dad mm. And his dad encouraged him, even though he would get mad at him for saying, I want to be a millionaire, he would encourage him to make his performances better and more interesting. And it was just a common theme throughout his childhood that his dad was pushing him to be better, but not in an over-the-top way. Now, on the school side of things, he... Let me guess. (laughs) Not great at school. (laughs) He got beat up a lot. He fought a lot. I don't think it's a secret. I mean, if you don't know what Howard looks like, first of all, have you been living under a rock? But <laughs> second of all, you know, he's super tall, mm-hmm. kind of an unusual look. But he said his hometown of Long Island was Jewish and very white. And his parents would always want to stay in the neighborhood despite it constantly changing. So he describes this as a very weird relationship with race from a young age. So what he said in multiple interviews is that a black family would move into the neighborhood and then the white family would move out in the middle of the night because they didn't want people to know that they were moving out because a black family moved in. There's the term for that. It's white flight or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That happened a lot in New York back in the day. Yeah. So, and this is on Long Island. So, you know, just right outside the city. And I think he, the way he talks about it is, it made a profound impact on him because he never understood why people were so sensitive and he hated the way that the white liberals, quote unquote, in his neighborhood would talk about, oh, I have black brothers and sisters. And then they would move the second a black family Hmm. moved in. And that really rubbed him the wrong way because of the hypocrisy and just he didn't understand why that was an issue at all. So he was also growing up when MLK was shot. So he remembers that that made a profound impact on him as well. He had trouble making friends because there was a lot of change going on and he just didn't really know where he fit in. And he said once they moved to a different neighborhood that was more white after his old neighborhood became mostly black and Hispanic, he said, turns out I still couldn't make friends. Not only did black people not like me, white people didn't either. It wasn't a racial thing. It was me. (laughs) So at least he's pretty self-aware, it sounds like, even at an early age. Yeah. So he never really cared about school that much. There was actually not a lot about his school career, whether he liked it, but he did say once he got into Boston University, it was a miracle that he got in. So it kind of gives us some sort of indication that like many others, he was just not. Probably still really bright and brilliant, but just didn't succeed in grade school. Totally. Uh, Bringing it back for a second, I just thought that was this was really telling of his future endeavors, but for his 13th birthday, he asked his mom for Playboy, for a Playboy subscription. And his mom said, I'm not uptight, and the naked body isn't a big deal. I'll get you Playboy, but I want you to know something. Those women are freaks. Those are not real women. That is not what women look like in the real world. Uh, I don't know what to say to that. Yeah. Ray, because true i wouldn't call them freaks no that's a little little aggressive i can see where she's going with that yeah uh, that maybe that instilled something in his head like freaks freak show i could be like pt barnum and i can capitalize on this right just kind of weird but he has said in 
modern day interviews that his mom always understood his shtick. Like she ended up buying him Playboy subscription and he would be able to joke about sex with her. So I think that's very indicative of him being comfortable talking about those things. So take that for what it is. I don't know. <laughs> was not my childhood experience whatsoever. Yeah. I wasn't allowed to say fart when I was a kid. <laughs> And farts are funny. I'm sorry. That's so true. <laughs> so by 1972, he's at BU, and he got a chance to go on the radio there. No one taught him. He just learned the equipment like many people did back in the day. And he eventually got his own show called the King Schmaltz Bagel Hour, <laughs> which I knew you would love. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so <That's> he, <laughs> he hosted this with three of his classmates and it was actually canceled after the first episode because they did a skit that had racist undertones that was called godzilla goes to harlem oh yeah not great not great i found that to be a weird conundrum because he said he hated the racism so much but he kind of i don't know hmm. weird so he also did a lot of drugs at this time including lsd had a really bad trip on LSD, um, but was doing a whole bunch of other stuff, including marijuana, which is fine. Devil's <laughs> lettuce. Yes. Now, I think this is where we start seeing that he had a lot of trouble accepting people's BS, as he said. He used the word phonies a lot. <sighs> and we know a similar character in a book mm-hmm. of an author we've covered Walton Caulfield. Yeah. And so this whole hatred towards hypocrites and when people are not, quote, intellectually honest, it really kind of started to show its teeth when he was at Boston University. And then we see it throughout, obviously. So by 1975, he was still at BU and he was also working to receive his diploma from the Radio Engineering Institute of Electronics so that he could have his technical license and actually know how to do all the tech stuff rather than just trying to figure it out on the fly during King Schmaltz Bagel Hour. (laughs) (laughs) He also became licensed by the FCC and he was teaching other students how to prepare for FCC exams. He did exceptionally well on his, no surprise, he graduated cum laude and, Hmm. you know. Yeah, that was his story with his academic career. So in 1976, he got his first job offer for Briarcliff Manor in New York for one of the stations there, and he turned it down because he was so terrified to do radio that he thought he wasn't good enough, and he was like, nope, there's no way. Oh. So he ended up taking a marketing job at an ad agency instead, and he hated it after a day, so he quit without giving notice and moved to the creative department just on his own volition, but was fired three hours later because they realized that he had just quit from his marketing job. <laughs> <laughs> and the personnel department was like, wait, you can't just like... Just forging his own path. <laughs> go from here to here. So he was yet again without a job, and he started working as a radio ad salesman, was not good at this. Mm-mm. And he kind of realized his mistake, obviously. I, I mean, that whole thing, though, he was playing around. That's what he wanted to do when he was a little kid, setting up this little thing in his basement. And then he studied it in school, knew all the technical stuff. It's kind of sad to look back and be like, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I think that's when we start seeing this is where the armchair psychology comes out, because <laughs> like very low self-worth at this point. Very on, low. Let me pull out my DSM-5. <laughs> Let's do Bonk. a quick psychoanalysis. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like low self-esteem, just he wanted it his whole life, like you said. And then the second it comes up, he's like, no, 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 no. That's scary. Relatable, though. Totally. And total creative theme, Mm -hmm. I think. So his mom and his girlfriend at the time were really the ones that were like, dude, what are you doing? Go back. Be on the radio. So he called the station back and asked for any job. He was like, listen, I know you already filled this other job because some time has passed, but whatever you have, I'll take it. So they offered him a chance to work on New Year's Day because it was the only open shift Mm -hmm. and obviously no one else wanted to work. And the program director asked him to not bother him. He was like, I only have one ask. Please do not call me. This is my off time. I don't (laughs) want to talk to you. I don't want to talk to anyone. But dear Howard jammed the board and had to call the program director. (laughs) Oh, that's a nightmare. He was not very happy. So he had to do some, you know, consoling to this guy and talk him off the ledge a little bit and prevent himself from getting fired before he could even start his career there. 
And he's often said that he's good at talking to management, which I don't know what that says about him, but (laughs) interesting anecdote. So because he was able to do that, he started to get more and more airtime, started getting more primetime slots, and was eventually elevated to program director at this radio station. Wow. Yes. To save money, though, because New York is very expensive, he, this is just a fun random fact at the time, he lived at a monastery with monks. <laughs> that Howard makes Stern. total sense. I mean, like, fit right in. Okay. Did he bring all of his Playboy magazines with him? Probably. <laughs> he probably stashed them in a suitcase. Like, Put them under the mattress. Well, they won't say anything because they're monks and so they won't talk to me. <laughs> It's real quiet in here. It's really, really quiet. Does anyone want a show? I'll do a radio (laughs) show right here. So in 1978, he married his first wife, Allison Burns. They ended up having three daughters together. Wow. In 1979, he moves to Hartford, Connecticut for a morning show gig. And this is where he starts practicing his ridiculous bits, the outrageous sense of humor that he started to develop and his one-liners. And here, he would go on the air for four hours in the morning, and then he would work to produce commercials for another at least four hours and filled a lot of roles at this station. So he was working a lot and really trying to still prove himself and saying, like, I I will do whatever it takes to be here, and I, I just appreciate the opportunity. So this is also where he had his first big media stunt. Um, He urged listeners to boycott Shell Oil Company due to the energy crisis of 1979 that was going on at the time. And people were listening, so he kind of caused a little bit of a stir with this, and it was his first significant stunt. I was picturing it it being something really silly, like this is the first time we had a Jello pool, but no, it's (laughs) it's related to an energy crisis. Yeah, it's like a a legit thing. I I was very perplexed by that. So in 1980, he leaves the Hartford radio station. And by the way, I could be saying all the station names, but it's just a bunch of letters and Mm -hmm. it's not as relevant. I I made that mistake when I was covering uh, Jerry Springer. I was like, X, Q, R, Y. No one cares. (laughs) You ain't got no (laughs) alibi. Yeah, Jerry. What? What? Yeah, Jerry. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't with this sometimes. Anyways, he leaves Hartford because they declined to give him a raise. And it was a very minimal raise. I think he was asking for like 25 bucks extra a week. It's the 70s, 80s, you know, a lot lot different back then. But they declined. So he was instead offered a job at a struggling rock station in Detroit. And it's here where he really wanted to start stripping down the ego and be more honest. And he actually won a Billboard Award for his work at that station. But even though he was doing well and people liked him, he was still losing the battles to other stations for ratings. And the station decided to change to country music overnight, which Howard was (laughs) not thrilled about. Some rock to country. Yeah. So he wanted to change. He wanted to get out of the country music scene because I think we can all agree that is not something that I would picture him being Mm -hmm. a part of. So he declined offers from a station in Chicago and one in Toronto and ended up in Washington, D.C. And this is where he met his co-host, Robin, Ah. who is still with him today. And it's actually a funny story of how they met. So a program director had put them in touch and they just had a phone call where they tested their chemistry and they were like, oh, like this combo is going really well. And the first time they ever did anything for real, they were actually on the air and they've been working together ever since. Wow. So thought that was fun he also started to be more uh honest i would say on the air if that's even possible but he revealed his wife's miscarriage on air Mm. which obviously in the 80s was not something that people really talked about and people really liked it so he was the second highest rated morning show in the city by 1982 and he started having contract disagreements with the station management because he wanted more money obviously and they were kind of holding out on his contract and just a bunch of weird stuff going on So he naturally retaliated by airing dirty laundry, like the manager's salary, which is a big no-no. Live on the the air? air? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Not great. Yikes. Not great. I mean, interesting play there, Howard. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, well. See how that panned out. uh Uh-huh. Well, not well. Uh, He got fired. (laughs) But not for that. They Well, they said not for that. So around the same time that all of this stuff was going on with the disagreements around the contract, there was a plane crash nearby in the area where a plane crashed into a bridge. So he pretended to do a prank call on the air where he called the airline to ask how much a one-way ticket to the bridge would be. And he didn't actually call anyone and was just oh, it was doing a fake, it. It was, it was a stunt. fake. Okay. But 
obviously did not rub people the right way. And yeah, even though he had tripled his listenership and been named the city's best disc jockey, the station didn't care. They were like, you can't make light of this situation like you did. So they fired him. Burning bitches. (laughs) Literally, quite literally in this case. So by 1982, he goes... sorry, I just got that. (laughs) (laughs) Delayed reaction. Seven second delay. (laughs) We are not over Zoom, so that was not technology. I'm not used to talking to you in real time. (laughs) My brain needs some buffering time. Kate just has the rainbow wheel spinning around in her head right now. My eyeballs are just rainbow wheels. So in 1982, he ends up in New York City, and before he was scheduled to start, it was on the station WNBC. I know I didn't say any of the other stations, but NBC is kind of a big deal, obviously. So, But before he was scheduled to start, NBC Magazine aired Critical News Report on Shock Radio, and it was focused on Howard and all of his controversies. So like, why they did that before he was scheduled to... I don't know. It was weird timing. And his contract was almost withdrawn because of it, but all the executives agreed they would figure out a way to, quote, control Howard. Yeah, that always works well with creatives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's just put him in a box and, you know, make mm, him super mm, PC. Mm, I think he's going to retaliate. <sighs> yeah. So they also declined to allow him to bring his former partners, which caused tension between him and Robin. Eventually got worked out, but it was not great for a while. And the show started in August, and he was instructed to avoid anything sexual or religious. <laughs> How do you think that worked out, Kate? Uh, great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in his first month, he was suspended for a skit that he did called Virgin Mary Kong. <laughs> I'll let you use your imagination on what that entails. So he just used all the things that they told him not to talk about. Yeah, all in one. Now, because of this, the station hired an attorney to monitor a seven-second delay. I wasn't joking about the seven-second <laughs> delay in case Howard said anything super offensive. So there's literally someone on standby that would be like, oh, no. Shut it down. Got a delay. And the program director soon took this over, and Howard called him a dirty pig. Yikes. <laughs> was not lots happy of name-calling. Yeah, lots of name-calling. So... By 1985, he signs a new contract with WNBC, and his audience was steadily growing despite being censored by the station. This is also when he starts to make a name for himself nationally, so he's building a national presence. He made his debut on David Letterman, which as a side note, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know much about their relationship, but they're really good friends nowadays. And Howard actually appeared on the David Letterman show 25 times. Wow. One time in drag. Sure. (laughs) Really weird. But before they got to that point, someone told Howard that David Letterman had said something bad about him on his show, which never happened, but Howard didn't even look into it. So he retaliated by going through Jay Leno's ratings versus Dave's on his show. He was taking digs at David Letterman's wife, like just all this stuff. And he said, since looking back on this, he was angry at Dave for being on TV and having an audience. Oh, so he was jelly. He was really jealous and really jealous that Dave felt so comfortable or seemingly felt so comfortable in that role. And so he just was going apeshit against him. Uh, Why? If you were jealous of someone's career, why would you target their wife? Right? To a public audience. Just like a maniac at that point. I mean, again, the insecurities, the self-esteem, the Mm, mm self-worth, I think, really were not high at this point so any shot that he could take against someone else to make himself feel better it seems like he was doing thanks now despite this he was getting the highest ratings at wnbc that they had had in four years but he was suddenly fired in september of 1985 for quote conceptual differences it was a total shock to him he didn't know it was coming but nonetheless they fired him how many times has this guy been fired at this so point? many <laughs> so many So in order to keep in touch with his audience, because like I said, he was getting great listenership. It was just not working out with the actual station. He started doing live stage shows. And soon after, he announced signing with Infinity to host afternoon radio on the rock station that they had. So right back into the swing of things. In 1986, he moved to the primetime morning slot and the show entered syndication. So he's really starting to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Fox was looking for a replacement for Joan Rivers for a late night show, and they tapped him to potentially be the replacement. He produced five one hour long pilots, and they hated it. (laughs) They didn't pick it up, clearly. 
and one exec called it boring and in poor taste, <laughs> which I'm sure did not thrill him very much. Yeah. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who wants to be called boring in any way. That's probably the worst insult. hundred percent. Now, to spice things up in 1988, Howard hosted his first pay-per-view event, and it was called Howard Stern's Negligee and Underpants Party. <laughs> Like pay-per-view just, yeah made me think of vince mcmahon for sure yeah uh it was pretty successful it made 1.2 million revenue so. it was just like a live stream yeah show with just like a, yeah variety show type of deal yeah I, nothing significant other than the name really <laughs> he's pretty good at names though i mean it's pretty clever a lot of people probably were like okay no but that's but, a shtick correct by 1990, Rolling Stone was predicting that he was on the fast track to multimedia stardom. Hmm. He re-signed with Infinity this year for another five years, and it was worth an estimated $10 million, so started getting paid the big bucks. Hey. He also started hosting the Howard Stern Show on TV, which was a Saturday night variety television show that competed with SNL, and it actually frequently beat SNL in the ratings. Yeah. How? I No idea, but... Howard decided to end it after, yep, you guessed it, 69 episodes. Oh, I thought you were going to say he got fired. No, (laughs) he ended it. From his own show. After 69 episodes. Now, as a quick sidebar, so he was always more comfortable with radio because we've talked about it, but super insecure with his looks and being so tall and having that crazy black hair that he has. So he wears dark glasses on TV to try to take away from his looks and look better. But he kind of realized as he's gotten older and nowadays that it doesn't really do anything <laughs> to help. It's not like a disguise. <laughs> um, and, but he has said also that he doesn't think it works when he watches his appearances back. So it's kind of just become his look because he wants it to be and because he's always done it versus he thinks it actually helps him <laughs> in a weird way. So just a lot of insecurities. Now, for the rest of the early 90s is when he really starts getting in trouble. So he's getting millions of dollars in fines from the FCC. Not only this, but religious groups were after him. Advertisers were pulling support constantly. Because this is really when he starts showing his rage and just had a lot of rage. And it's, for me, I kept thinking... You know, he talks about being close with his parents. He had a pretty normal childhood other than being an outcast at school. So it's like, what was he so angry about? Was it being an outcast? The whole thing when you mentioned him saying phonies and we related him to Holden Caulfield from Catcher in the Rye, I feel like that book is about like a misunderstood kid who's angry at the world, but it's not... totally. Not really. There's not a reason. It's just like everyone's so fake and I just want the truth and I'm going to be annoying about it. It's the parallels are kind of. Yeah, for sure. So we don't really know where the rage is coming from, but he said it was great radio, but really damaging to my personal life. You become kind of a madman. I was like the Joker and all I wanted to do was cause chaos. So like he recognizes that it was all over the place and rather bad crazy. He also referred to himself as a 10th degree black belt narcissist (laughs) at this time. Still very self-aware at this point. Very self-aware. Some highlights that I'd like to go through about celeb interactions. He was told to not ask George Michael about his sexuality. And what did he do? Asked him about his sexuality. He repeatedly told singer Carly Simon how hot she was and made her uncomfortable there. (sighs) Eminem and Will Ferrell appeared on the show then, and they did so once and then never again because they were so turned off by Howard's interview. He asked Gilda Radner really inappropriate questions about Gene Wilder and, quote, sent her running out of the studio because she was so upset. Now, the biggest one and the one that he regrets the most, and I think this is terribly sad, but he did an interview with Robin Williams, and it was just so bad and so over the top. He has since said, I loved Robin Williams, but there I am beating him over the head with like, hey, I hear your nanny. I could have had great conversation, but I'm playing to the audience. They want to hear outrageousness. And that's my arrogance thinking that Robin Williams can't entertain my audience. How stupid am I? Mm-hmm. And he never got to apologize to Robin because Robin passed away before he was able to. So oh, that is sad. he cites that as his biggest regret. And it's so true. It's like you have someone 
the caliber of Robin Williams and you're not letting them tell a story. Instead, you're asking him if he's had relationships with his nanny. Like, I don't know. It just rubbed me the wrong way. Again, it it makes me think of Jerry Springer with like, you're just playing to the audience and you're being super disrespectful. I mean, Jerry Springer didn't, wasn't talking to these like celebrities and well-known figures, but you're not doing what's right. You're just like, this is what makes the big bucks and I'm going to be ridiculous. But these are professional people who've worked in their careers and they deserve some respect. Yeah. I mean, they're taking time out of their busy schedules to appear on your show and all you're doing is just disrespecting them. And I mean, Gilda Radner is a legend and so is Gene Wilder. And you're just like, Oh, I don't care. I want to know about your sex life. Like, okay, bro. That's just, yeah. Mm -hmm. So he obviously was doing it to get ratings and if he wasn't number one he would get more stressed out and if he was number one he would get even more stressed out because he wanted to make sure he still stayed there in the next round of ratings so he took what many people have described as the scorched earth approach and just didn't care who he had to take down on his way to get there and he said that part of the reason he would say the most ridiculous things If you ever listen back to his old shows, it always happened at the same time. And it was because if he got people to listen past a certain point, it somehow affected the ratings. Because if you get them to listen past a certain 15 minute marker, then it bumps your ratings up even more. And so that's how he would remain number one. So like he figured it out and put a lot of thought behind it. But it's like, come on, dude. Now, it's important to note at this time as well. He never took meds for his OCD or anxiety. So... As we know, I mean, a lot of people that we cover kind of have these types of issues. And I think that probably contributed a lot to his approach here because... And his anger. And his anger. Agreed. Sometimes anxiety can be... uh, It is released as anger, as a form of anger or rage. Yep. So who knows? But it's it was important to note that because he's not doing anything for his issues that he has, Mm -hmm. even though he recognizes that he has these issues. By 1992, he starts referring to himself as the king of all media, and this is actually a jab at Michael Jackson, aka the king of pop, (laughs) so he just wanted to go by that name, all media, not just radio, (laughs) It doesn't really count if you're starting to call yourself that, though. Hey, Jack, we are the queens of podcasting now. We do declare. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it was during this time as well that he became the first person to have a number one morning show in both NY, New York City, and Los Angeles at the same time, which was unheard of at the time. I mean, to capture both markets was pretty exceptional. It was during this time as well that he appeared on stage at the VMAs with his butt exposed Mm. in a fart man costume, (laughs) bringing it back to the farts. Oh my gosh, don't say the F word. (laughs) So sorry. And because of this, he wanted to begin development for the Adventures of Fartman movie. He hired a screenwriter. He got a distribution deal. He did the whole thing. But the project was eventually abandoned due to, shocker, disagreements he had with the distributor. Okay, here's the thing. I think this is why I never really got on the Howard Stern train is all of his humor and these stunts he pulls. It just makes me think of like a 13-year-old boy yeah, who like... Obviously, some of those jokes are funny. They're still funny, even as adults. But I feel like he just never really grew out of that. It's like, who fart man? <laughs> it's so true. This is Cheap laughs, I, mean, I would call knows, it. He certainly knows his audience, without a doubt. But it's For just sure. like, that's you're a brilliant person. You you know how to uh, leverage your rankings and everything like that. Mm-hmm. You, you're creative, hyper-creative. <sighs> yeah. It just feels like cheap laughs to me. For sure. Now, by 1993, because his movie project was no more, his agent started pitching book deals. And Fox again approaches him about potentially replacing Chevy Chase for his late night show. Oh. Never came to fruition. But he did release a book with Simon & Schuster called Private Parts, and it instantly Mm. became a New York Mm. Times bestseller. It became the fastest selling title in the history of Simon & Schuster, which was a pretty big deal. And he held book signings across the country. Now, these were wildly popular. People were coming out of the woodworks to go see him, meet him. And the New York City one was attended by an estimated 10,000 people for a book signing. Yeah. Now, this is also the time when he was named the most influential air personality of the past two decades. And he also appeared on a TV special in blackface and ignited, you guessed it, way more controversy. Shoot. Yeah. In 1994, he decided 
much like Jerry Springer, that he wanted to have a political career, and he ran for governor of New York. Not going to even start with city council. We're going straight for governor. Okay. He ran on the libertarian ticket, and he was actually doing okay. And he said, we're going to kill all the criminals, take their crispy remains, and stick them in the potholes. Okay. Uh, 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 I, I, <laughs> what? Yeah. And you know what? People probably ate it up. Oh, they love that. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yep. Okay. He also wanted to ban construction during the day on the roads. And he was doing all these things. People, like you said, were eating it up. But he actually had to disclose his income <laughs> to run for public office. He had to disclose it to the state. And he removed himself from the race because... There's an argument about whether he just didn't want to share his wealth or because his contract prevented him from doing so with the radio station. But regardless, he's always been famously private about money. And out of all the things to consider a taboo topic, like for him to consider money out yeah. of the realm is like, okay, you talk about everything else. So George Pataki ended up winning the race for governor, and he actually made a bill called the Howard Stern Bill about when construction was allowed. <laughs> So he actually got stuff done in politics. Yeah. Wow. But that was the beginning and the end of his political career. Thank goodness. Seriously. But at this point, his show was the highest rated morning show, which would continue for seven more years. He was featured in Rolling Stone. He won the nationally syndicated Air Personality of the Year by Billboard. He founded his own production company for film and TV ventures. He got a deal with E! Network to air highlights from his radio show. So things are going really well for him at this point. He's really saturating the market. He's everywhere. In 1995, he released his second book, Miss America. This was also a New York Times bestseller. But he really causes some controversy because the singer Selena was shot in Texas. And he said, Oh, no, 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 no. This music does absolutely nothing for me. Alvin and the Chipmunks have more soul. Spanish people have the worst taste in music. They have no depth. And while he said this, there were like gunshot sounds playing in the background. What the hell? What is that? What? I know. What it's is that not accomplishing? It's not about you, bro, first of all. Yeah. And why would you go after a whole culture? Uh-huh. What? Just ridiculous. I just and can't. I can't I know. get over that. It ignited it. widespread boycotts and widespread media reactions to it, obviously, because she's an iconic figure. And what the hell? <laughs> QQ for you. See. I mean, he obviously is aware of what he's doing to get all this controversy mm-hmm. he knows that that gets listeners and whatnot do you feel like he actually believes all these things that he's saying or he's just saying it to get a reaction i think he's just saying to okay. get a reaction and he actually issued a statement in response to this saying his comments were satire and not intended to hurt people Interesting. and I, I genuinely believe that he meant that but it's also like too little too late mm-hmm. you already said this on the air and offended hundreds of thousands of people by doing it you offended a whole ethnic group of people satire satire on what though yeah you're Just, making fun of a death at that point i i don't get it and because people are so pissed off there was actually an arrest warrant issued for disorderly conduct if he ever entered the state of texas whoa yeah the justice of the peace issued it and they were just like this obviously is symbolic but don't you dare step foot in this state because that's so offensive mm-hmm. So he also, during this time, appeared on Jay Leno and naturally caused more controversy. He had two models in bikinis appear with him and they kissed and then Howard spanked them. Now, Jay Leno was so pissed that he walked off the stage without a word to Howard because he was like, what are you doing? I mean, this is not my show. You're on my show right now. This is not what I'm doing. And it's not the first controversy that he had with Jay Leno. Another member of his cast was the stuttering John Melendez, and he was offered a job on the Jay Leno show, so The Tonight Show, without Howard's knowledge while he was on vacation. And this caused a huge rift between Howard and Jay Leno and led to another contest that Howard created called Win John's Job. Why? Just like unnecessary beef at that point, I think. You're creating drama where there is no drama. (laughs) What are you doing? You're a grown man. I don't know. Hey, Jess, what do you call a pickle lullaby? I don't know, Kate. Tell me. A cucumber slumber number. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I did not see that coming. (laughs) Mm, Nope. That joke may have been the worst, but Design Pickle is not the worst. 
Definitely not the worst. And there's a reason that Design Pickle has been ranked on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies in America for the past two years. And it's because they aren't the worst. No, Design Pickle offers flat rate unlimited graphic design and creative services with unlimited revisions, brand profiles, a Zapier integration, Adobe source files, all that good stuff. And we have a special deal for all of you listeners. So if you're listening to our nonsense and you need graphic design help or custom illustration help, you can use the code WORST at checkout to get $100 off your first month of any plan. That's coupon code WORST, W-O-R-S-T, for $100 off any plan of Design Pickle, our Essentials plan, our Pro plan, custom illustrations. Just head over to designpickle.com and select the plan that's right for you and get $100 off. And get creating. So in 1997, they made a film based on his first book, Private Parts, that was released. And remember that. Howard and his staff, as you know, stars themselves. But the process was not easy to get to that point because Howard, being Howard and a creative, rejected every single script there was. So it took them a really long time to nail down the script and how they were going to actually film this movie. Despite that, it topped the box office, was a pretty good success. It had a soundtrack that accompanied it that Howard performed on, and that actually charted on the Billboard Top 200 <laughs> list and went certified platinum. So just, yeah. It's so wild. I feel like everything he touches, though, it's he goes above and beyond. Well, it's like a weird dichotomy because he's either getting fired uh-huh. or things are going really well, but it's all happening simultaneously. <laughs> so it's like, it's like just a swinging pendulum of like New York Times bestseller and then like you're fired and everyone <laughs> hates you. It's so weird, which probably contributed to his rowdiness, I think, sure. because you, you don't even know where you stand with people and you're experiencing wild success and then you're like, oh, wait, <laughs> I'm fired. What do I do now? Time to deal. do something else that's crazy. And, and he awful. did. So by 1998, he starts to lose affiliates around the country. People were dropping and dropping because he was just getting too risque at this point. He was going nuts. This happened throughout 1999 as well. And then by 2001, there were just huge shakeups of talent on the show, which not surprising. He seems like a pretty tough guy to work for. And Robin's still with him at this Robin's point? Robin's still with okay. him, yep. Now, in 2001, he divorces his first wife, Allison, and one of his daughters said she thinks it was because her mom went back to work as a psychoanalyst. <laughs> nice. And that her dad didn't want to be psychoanalyzed. <laughs> Great. I wonder why. And this same daughter also said that the way her dad had been speaking about women at this time had huge ramifications on her personal life and how men look to her. And you feel for, I mean, you don't even think about the kids, but damn you have he has three daughters three daughters and he spoke about women the way that he did i just not even speak like the bringing them out in bikinis and spanking them and doing stuff it's like yeah how do you explain that to your children yeah you don't there's no good explanation yeah, for it that's sad so i mentioned the shakeups in talent Artie lang joined the show after one of howard's longtime partners jackie joke time martling left the show over a contract dispute Now, Jackie was afraid also he left because he thought Howard would divulge details about how his marriage was falling apart, and he didn't want that to happen. (laughs) He's obviously going to do that. (laughs) Yeah, nothing is off limits to Howard. He would put anything out there. So I mentioned the other contest with the guy, John, that went to Jay Leno's show. Well, Howard also had a contest that was called Win Jackie's Money, where comedians were vying to replace him. So just made light of the whole thing. (laughs) So mean. He's a bully. He's a bully. And Artie Lang replaced him, like I said, but he would go on to have a bad falling out with Howard as well. Not surprising. Artie Lang was probably just on so much cocaine, he didn't even know what was going on. (laughs) Well, and that's what Howard cites as the issue, and he kind of regrets not having a relationship with Artie still because he's like, he he is an addict, and I could have been more sensitive to that. Hmm. So I think it was probably equal on both sides, but... sure. Jackie ended up writing a book called Bow to Stern, where he talks about working for Howard, and Artie actually wrote the foreword for the book. And it says, We have the bond that both of our deaths have been fraudulently broadcast over the radio. Somehow, individually, we both lasted many years on a show that had two nocturnal comedians getting up at the crack of dawn. And that still puzzles us both. Nobody who's ever walked in those shoes can ever in any way join our discussions around the horror that is the hours of the Howard Stern show. And (laughs) both of us are no longer welcome on the show. Artie's talking about him and Jackie Mm -hmm. in that case. So just kind of, you know, it gives you an indication of what it's like to work for Howard. (laughs) Does not sound like a good time. I mean, all all radio, most radio shows are like that, though, too. I mean, especially a morning show, you're up at 
3 a.m. getting started. That's terrible. Rough. Hard pass for me. Now, for once, Howard finds a place where he doesn't have to joke about something because 9-11 happens in 2001, obviously. And he actually was praised for how he handled it because he let listeners call in and express how they were feeling Hmm. and really tried to talk about unity and how everyone needed to be there for one another at that time. So people were like, wow, this is a really different look on you, bud. Maybe you should try this out more often. He didn't. (laughs) (laughs) So... Fast forward to 2004, and this is when he's first approached by Sirius XM. He was intrigued because obviously satellite radio would offer him more freedom to talk. Mm -hmm. And when they signed him, the company pretty much blew up. He signed a $500 million contract with them. And it was considered a really risky move for both parties because Sirius was a paid structure and Howard had a huge audience with terrestrial radio. So it's like, yeah, you're making a lot of money, but are you going to have any listeners if it's People have to pay to to listen to you. So ultimately, as we know, the deal saved the company because it's probably one of the biggest business deals they've ever done with any talent. And he's still with them today. But he also chose to sign with them because radio and TV guidelines were becoming far more strict. And people cited the Janet Jackson Super Bowl controversy (laughs) as the reason that they were really cracking down on that type of stuff. So he kind of felt like it was a good fit for him to go to a place where he wouldn't be censored. But he also found that because of this, and there was no censorship, it kind of made him rethink the way he was approaching things, because he's like, if I'm not being censored, then what's the fun in doing the same old shtick I've always done? So he was trying to find new ways to communicate with the audience. And in 2006, he officially went live on two channels in complete freedom on Sirius. Now, as you know, it's kind of the Wild West compared to terrestrial radio. I mean, you can do and say whatever, and Mm -hmm. no one's putting you on a seven second delay (laughs) and a lot of people were worried they were like he's not gonna have an act anymore because now that he can do it it takes the fun away there's no envelope to push anymore exactly this will piss people off though (laughs) true so he got bored because all of a sudden oh my gosh he's such a creative yep he wasn't outrageous and he was like well this isn't fun anymore i want to (laughs) what i want to piss people off so he said he realized he had to evolve and, quote, you can only interview so many strippers. So we start to see Dear Howard take a little bit of a turn here. Now, this is when he coincidentally starts going to therapy, psychotherapy. <laughs> and when he starts to apologize to a lot of people and, you know, talks about growing up a little bit and realizing the errors of his ways. Huh. And he attributes all of that to therapy to become someone else that's not a young man full of rage. And he also has talked in depth about his lack of self-esteem, lack of self-examination. He said, my narcissism was so strong that I was incapable of appreciating what somebody else might be feeling. Hmm. He also credits therapy for helping him appreciate what is good and fall in love with life again. So really give him a more positive spin on things rather than just being so mad at everyone and everything for their successes. He also said in reflecting upon his time in therapy, which he still goes to, but he said he thought words didn't hurt, but they always hurt him. So he would uh-huh. he would be comfortable spewing things because he was like, oh, words don't hurt. But then the second someone would say something to him that was borderline offensive, he would be devastated by it. Oh, yeah. So pot calling the kettle black for sure. Is this empathy I'm feeling? <laughs> yeah. What? Right? Now... I think it's no joke or no secret that he's a really, really good interviewer, no matter what phase of his career. Mm -hmm. He would get things out of people. People would share things on his show that they would never share anyone else, all that stuff. But experts have now studied him and said he's one of the best active listeners in the business because the way that he receives information is unlike most hosts on television or in radio because he actually shows empathy and Mm -hmm. shows understanding regardless of his response so he credits therapy for that as well because he felt like he wasn't as good prior to therapy which people argue because he's always been a good interviewer he's just gotten more relaxed i think sure over time well before it sounded like he was just going for the shock value right and now it's like actually about the person you're interviewing and exactly story that is exactly. But you it. can still incorporate some of that shock value, but in a better way, where it's yeah, it's more back and forth dialogue and getting people to open up about stuff. You don't have to offend them Correct. in order to have an open conversation. Yeah, 
Agreed. He also said, I'd feel really fucking shit if I hadn't evolved. And that's true. I mean, you can only do that for so long without getting burned out, I think, mm-hmm. too. And he also said, I think the reason I was successful is that I was always honest with the audience, but I think bad radio is when you somehow don't change it up constantly. So there were multiple reasons, obviously, that he kind of changed the flow. But from 2006 on, we really start to see him as a different interviewer, mm-hmm. different host, and not the outrage. Yeah. He also got multiple plastic surgeries on his face during this time. <laughs> All the way back to the low self-esteem. Yeah. I didn't know that. He's... Mm-hmm. Hmm. Nose job. Oh, yeah. Something under the chin. Why not? Yeah. Treat yourself. Exactly. 2008, he marries Beth, the model, who he's still married to, and he cites his relationship with her as a huge influence on him, which I don't think is a secret. They've been married for almost 13 years hmm. now. And he said he couldn't be in a relationship until he did therapy. So, again, credited therapy to making this relationship successful for him. And he has stated numerous times that he has regrets about the way his first marriage ended. So, like, kind of recognized that he was shitty and a terrible example for his daughters and just not a good oh, husband. Wow. Okay. He and Beth have many cats and they foster a ton of cats, which I think is so funny. Do you have names? Give me names. Oh, no, they've fostered Jessica. hundreds of them, though. Whoa. Like, they really care about kitty cats. I don't know why. When I was in college, I, I volunteered at the Humane Society in San Luis Obispo. Of course they you had did. Like a, <laughs> they had, like, a giant area of the shelter called the Cattery, and that's where they ha- had all the cats. So it was, like, a, cute. It was like Cat City. <laughs> the Cattery. Cat City. Howard Stern would love it there at the Cattery. Yeah, well, Howard, if you're listening... Take Check a, it out. Take a trip to slow and find out. Well, it's Humane Society. They're great. <laughs> so in 2011, I think he's really calming down even more and starts to take a step back a little bit. So he isn't producing all these wild TV shows, pay-per-view events, none of that stuff anymore. He's really just focusing on his radio show. He starts painting, doing photography, playing chess. Huh, he's finding actually, other outlets. Yeah, Shocking. he's actually ranked in chess. Stop <laughs> it. Queen's Gambit style. Stop it. Probably not oh, that good. The Queen's Gambit is so good. Do you think yeah. he just lays there in bed and like pictures the chess pieces hanging <laughs> around? Probably not. Okay. I think that's just a, you know, a Beth Harmon thing. Okay. Queen's Gambit, but maybe. Had to ask. <laughs> so he also, speaking of the Humane Society, he was into photography. So he did photos for the Humane Society and a couple other publications. So it was getting really into it. Huh. Again, another outlet. It's great. He also, in 2012, became a judge on America's Got Talent, and this is an effort to showcase his softer side. Even his own agent was shocked when he agreed to do America's Got Talent. <laughs> and he said, I went from a raging lunatic to Santa Claus. Because <laughs> that's a family show. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He actually criticized Simon Cowell at this time, who was his coworker, because he said Simon created a toxic boys club environment where men get to stay no matter what and women get pushed out based on their looks. I'm sorry, though. Let's take a, a step back here because it sounds like he's very quick to criticize stuff like that. But that's what he built his entire career on. Literally, that is his persona is mm-hmm. poking fun at women and their appearance and just sexualizing them. Yep. What? A little ironic. Talk about a boys club, dude. A hypocrite? <laughs> you take the Hippocratic oath? Whatever. Sure. He's acting like a hypocrite here. But, I mean, again, it's like the debate of did he actually grow up and truly believe this? Or was he just saying it to say it? Who knows? I don't know. I, I, I sound like he did grow up a bit. But then who is he to say to, like, criticize? I don't know. Yeah. Who am I to criticize it? Oh, it's so meta. It is. So, you know, he's kind of evening out like we see. And in 2015, he had did an interview with Gwyneth Paltrow that really signified a shift. And people called this a milestone because her interview was so good that other celebrities kind of started feeling comfortable going on Mm. Howard's show again because he had burned a lot of bridges, as we know. So she actually... People are getting more comfortable with his dinner party style is what he called it. It was more like conversational than outrageous. But Gwyneth actually brought up sex with her husband and he didn't have to bring it up. So people were like, oh, like people are actually volunteering that information now and he doesn't even have to go there. So this is a huge spin on how things used to be. Interesting. Now, 
Lena Dunham also said around this time, when you talk to Howard, you just kind of explode with candor. So he clearly has a way of making people feel when they're in the studio now that they feel comfortable talking, which is also ironic to me because people were so afraid of him for so long that it's just, it's a weird, I think lots of stuff going I on. I think people want to be open and honest. They really do, but on their terms. And yep. he had built this persona where he is open and crazy and all that. But as he matures, I mean, yeah, it is a step from like those just formal interviews and people can be more candid and stuff right. like that. hundred percent. Now, because he's not as outrageous anymore, the biggest issue becomes people seeking headlines and they take sound bites out of context mm-hmm. and try to still paint Howard in the old light, which is, I mean, he's trying to evolve. I understand that. But like people are always going to do that because he kind of dug his own grave <laughs> in that regard, you know? I mean, he was not a nice guy for a long time. So the fact that the media was still trying to paint him like that is not surprising mm-hmm. to me at all. And he was very much in the public eye, so it's not, you can't hide that. <laughs> Exactly. Jimmy Kimmel was a loyal listener for a long time before he became a close friend to Howard. And he said that Howard has the best format to offer. And he's hardly unique in that opinion. A lot of people feel like that. But Jimmy Kimmel said, unlike the late night talk shows, nothing is off limits on his show. And you know that going in. If you put limits on the interview, Howard won't do it. No matter how tempting or how much he wants the guest, he just won't. So if you're Paul McCartney and you just want to publicize something, you know you're going to sit down with Howard for an hour and a half and talk about whatever Howard wants to talk about, and no one is above that. Which I think sums it up pretty well. Still complete creative control. (laughs) From a New York Times interview, Howard said that he did around this time. He said, to do a good interview, there's a certain knowledge you must bring to it, a certain intelligence, a certain empathy. You have to not only do research, but also have a sense of what keeps people interested, when to cut them off, and when to help them out. And I couldn't help but think of like the creativity behind that, because mm-hmm. that takes a lot of... Um, we see that in the podcast. Like It feels like we're doing book reports, but the research takes a certain amount of creativity to get it right and figure out the flow and figure out how we're going to angle the stories. Mm-hmm. So that resonated with me. Now, <laughs> I really didn't want to get to this point, but it's such a big part of his career that I feel like it's important to talk about, but it is political. So oh boy, he has interviewed Donald Trump more than anyone else. Trump has done more interviews with him than on any other news outlet. And <laughs> yeah, Howard Stern has said that Donald was the definition of a great guest. This is long before he ever considered running for presidency. He has commented on his presidency and has said things like he doesn't think he even wanted it. He thinks it was a publicity stunt that went way too far. <laughs> Now, Howard is very liberal and very much on the opposite side, but has remained friends with Trump. And Trump actually invited him to speak at the RNC. And he declined because he's like, I don't, I'm a Democrat. I don't want to speak there, but best of luck, bro. But Trump still seems to respect him and they're still friends. And Howard went to his first wedding and there have been controversies nowadays, of course, because there's controversy with everything in politics, but I just thought that was interesting because they kind of have this weird bond despite having polar opposite political views. Political views, yes, but I, oh man, this is tough because we really don't want to get political on the show at all. But presidency aside, like before all of this, I would argue that they had very similar views on women and yeah, um, true partying and stuff like that. So sure, Mr. Trump probably felt very much at home on his show. And and oh, great. really enjoyed that humor. I will leave it at that. I would encourage, if anyone's interested in hearing more about that whole side of things, watch Howard's interview on David Letterman's show on Netflix. My next guest needs no introduction. He talks about it in depth, and it's really interesting. Hmm. But okay. I just don't want to touch on it because it's a, it's a little bit testy right now. A little bit. Now, in 2017, he had a kidney cancer scare. He abruptly canceled his show and tried to play it off to his audience, saying, can I just take a break from time to time? But his loyal listeners knew something was up. It sounds like he really hasn't taken a break at all. Yeah. And he had told no one that he was having this scare except for his family and was really actually scared. He genuinely thought he was going to die. He went in for surgery, and it turned out to be a cyst, and they had told him that there was a 90% chance that it was cancerous. So the fact that it was in the 10% chance of not being cancerous was a miracle. 
But he cites this as a huge event that caused him to rethink how he was as a father, a husband. He kind of reflected on his life. and That'll do it. Yeah. So obviously he's healthy now, but he really gave people quite a scare when he just abruptly disappeared. And Hmm. that's what he was dealing with. Now, in 2019, he released his third book called Howard Stern Comes Again, which shows a much more mature side. So he curated it. It's about old interviews that he's done with his commentary. I actually kind of want to read it because I think it would be interesting now to hear his perspective, but wildly successful. Just a few days ago, actually, he re-signed with Sirius for five more years, which people didn't know if he was going to do or not. He was kind of hinting at retirement, but Mm -hmm. he's on board for five more years. And Sirius shares actually rose as a result by 2.4% because of this news. Yeah, just shows how ingrained he is with that company and how much of a success he is there. He said in comment about re-signing his contract, certainly I have a lot more to say about stepmom porn. Plus, now that I can work from home, I simply don't have an excuse to quit. What does that have to do with anything? No idea. I don't get the joke. I don't either. (laughs) I don't either. Okay. Now, yesterday, or two days ago, reports just broke about his alleged icy treatment of his employees. Uh, Uh, Reports from ex-employees. A show insider said that he is worse than Ellen DeGeneres, while another said employees are told not to look at him at work. And this has been something that came up over and over and over again. In fact, a friend of our show has been to his studios and said it was the weirdest creative environment he's ever been around and said people were just on edge and people were really (sighs) nervous and no one was allowed in his private studio, like just a weird, weird culture. That tense vibe. Yeah. Not conducive to creativity. Not at all. Now, as we know with his legacy, he's one of the best interviewers in media. He's the highest paid radio host, making a reported $90 million a year. And he never speaks on money, like I said, but he has nice homes, and that's pretty much it. He doesn't really live a lavish lifestyle, which I always find interesting. Oh, he's loaded. Are you kidding me? All these loaded. TV shows, radio books, movies. Yep. Does, he's in everything. Yeah. He's everywhere. He still has about 20 million weekly listeners, which is astounding. Obviously, he's written his three books. Like you said, he's been in TV shows. He's been syndicated. He, I mean, he's everywhere. He's on YouTube all the time. He pops up. I mean, it's crazy. So with that said, the king of all media, Kate, I ask you, is Howard Stern the worst? So I'd like to vindicate myself for... (laughs) Not saying that Vince McMahon was the worst because he's pretty awful. Yeah. I feel like I haven't really called anyone the worst, but I'm going to say it. I'm going to say that Howard Stern is kind of the worst. I. It's very refreshing to hear that he has matured a lot and he has gone to therapy and really grown. Totally. That's great and all, but he's done some awful things to a lot of people, uh, a lot of communities I just never really loved his sense of humor. It's pretty just, we're pretty gross and whatever. And I'm still just like, ooh, very turned off by that. The fact that he doesn't treat his staff and employees well is very problematic, concerning. And it seems like he's matured so much, but he's still making a joke about like stepmom porn in just this past week. I don't get it. That's not to say that he, I mean, he is clearly a creative through and through. I'm jealous of his creativity and his, uh, everything that he's done. That's awesome. The world has definitely changed because of him, but I don't know. What do you think, Jess? I struggle with this as I do with anyone that has clear mental health issues that they worked on. Like, I think that his behavior is the worst. Mm -hmm. Him as a person, I can't speak to, but all signs point to him being the worst. And I just, I have a hard time because I really do enjoy his more mature interviews. And like I said, I don't have context with when he was batched off the walls, but I do enjoy the current content. And I think he has evolved. He's shown growth. He's tried to work on himself. But like you said, it's still making those cheap jokes and Mm -hmm it just doesn't vibe with me. And I think to hear that the office culture is so bad pisses me off too. And he very well could be the worst. I appreciate his contributions to media. I think he's totally changed media. He basically, I mean, 
you throw podcasts in the mix and just like the platform to talk about anything. And he kind of launched that and gave Joe Rogan a platform in a weird way. Don't get um, me started on Joe Rogan, though. <laughs> I feel like we talked about this in our last episode, but how important it is for creatives to break the rules and, totally. and push the envelope. And he's definitely the poster child for that, without a doubt. Like he, there's a lot of bravery involved in doing everything mm-hmm. that he did. But again, just doesn't vibe with me. A lot of the stuff about him going after certain communities and his treatment of women, which sure, it w- is probably meant to be satirical, but just totally. like, I always thought it was icky. I still think he's icky. Sorry, Howard. Sorry, Howie. I don't know. I also feel like and something that just came to mind is he's so highly intelligent. I feel like you don't need to stoop to the level of making fun of right? different groups of people, different yeah. religions, different races, different ethnicities. And you're stooping to that level for what? For it's a, a laugh? Sure. But you're so much smarter than that. And to me, you have so much more to offer. And again, he's done that in recent years, but he will always have that little 13 year old boy mm-hmm. in there that's making the cheap jokes. And I just think, I don't know. I, I have a hard time calling him the best yeah, <laughs> for he that does, reason. He has saved a lot of cats. So that's yeah. good. And photographed them too. So Cat portraits. I don't know. I think that he could very well be the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless, I uh, certainly learned a lot about him. And well done, Jess. That was, that was great. I'd love to hear what everyone... Because we're, we're kind of like torn on this one i'm not really torn but i'm sure this is probably a controversial one though i definitely is uh, since he has so many listeners uh perhaps some of you love howard stern and please let us know what you think yeah email us at podcast designpickle.com even if you disagree we'd love to hear it yeah let's fight let's fight (laughs) about it uh but if you enjoyed this and you want to hear more be sure to subscribe to all your friends Follow us on the social medias yeah. uh, at Creatives Are the Worst or at Worst Creatives on Twitter. And be sure to smash that subscribe button, man, and give smash us a review. It. Yeah, smash do it. it. We'll be back next week to figure out who's the worst or not worst. Sounds Maybe. good. Maybe. We'll see. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Creatives Are the Worst. If you like what you're hearing, or if you think that we're the worst, please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. We'd love to hear from you. You can also contact us directly at podcasts at designpickle.com. And a big thanks to Design Pickle for sponsoring the show. Join us next week as we once again try to answer the question, are creatives the worst? <laughs>